I just wanted to make it clear when I stepped on the floor, and I'm 22 years old, I'm a graduate assistant. I'm more excited to be here than anybody else. And I'll be honest with you guys, you know, there's been, there's been times in my career, I'm, certainly, I'm, I'm sure there's been days where I've fallen short of that. But for the most part, like that's who I've tried to be, is just the most enthusiastic guy, not just about basketball, but about the guys that I get to coach. I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession, which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Guys, we have a special one coming up now. We have the one and only Shaka Smart. Um, this is somebody that I love listening to, listen to talk. Um, very, very smart guy. Um, he's the head men's basketball coach at the University of Texas. One thing I love about Shaka is when you talk to him, you can just tell that he's very um, thoughtful. He's a super, super mindful guy. You can tell there's a lot of strategy and thought. Um, that that comes with with him. Um, one thing that you're going to learn in this episode here is that um, you're going to learn kind of you know his philosophy, how he kind of been successful. Um, he he's really big on mentoring, and not only mentoring his his players, but also mentoring his staff as well. Um, there was one quote that I really liked, and it was about um, you know people wanting uncommon results, but not wanting. Um, not wanting to take an uncommon process. And we all know that it's, it's about the process. So uh, we, we got a treat here coming. Man, when I think of Shaka, I think of intentional success. All the success that he goes through, he's very intentional about the process of getting to it. Um, you know, like one of the last questions I remember we, we asked him, or I know I asked him was, you know, why does he say I want to be a successful head coach, right? Mm -hmm. And his comment was, you know, well, everybody want to be a head coach. So which one do you want to get there and get fired? It's like you need to change your thought behind it. And by him adding the word success, it drives him from a motivating factor to make sure when he gets there, he knows he's going to have success. And obviously, you know, by him doing that, it's just helped him, you know, and obviously every aspect of his life as a coach. You know what I mean? But the thing I really, really love about Shaka, too, um, was that he got so much passion and humility to help so many people. Right. And that and that's something that's crazy, too, though, Ish, because, like, I know my boss right now, um, you know, Shaka's a mentor to him and he's never worked with Shaka. You know what I mean? Like he, but he's been, but he's been a mentor to my boss for the last thirteen years. Like he goes above and beyond to try to help so many people. You mm -hmm. know, I'm in a, I'm in a position now where, you know, I tune into this, the Zoom call that he does every other Sunday, and and it's, you know, you probably have north of eighty people on it every every Sunday, 
And he just, and it's so many things though. He bring different people. You know, we've had like Lord Pierce on there. He's had ADs on there. He's had people from search firms on there. Like just last weekend, we did a mock interview. Like he's really intentional about helping everybody. You know what I mean? And you would think someone of his stature, someone that has so much of his success, that that probably wouldn't be something that he'll do. But it but it highlights the type of person he is, not just as a coach, mm-hmm. but you know who he is as an individual. You know, off the court man. So I'm really excited uh, that we had the opportunity to to be able to conversate with him, man. And I know you guys truly gonna enjoy. Yeah, um, that that intent that intentionality that really shines through this conversation. Um, so like I always say, make sure you guys get ready. He's going to drop some gems. Um, he's going to talk about his past. He's going to talk about his present. He's going to talk about his future and, and all the intentions that go in with that. Um, so get your notebook ready, get your pen and get ready to enjoy this conversation, guys. We are here with Shaka Smart. Head men's basketball coach at the University of Texas. Coach, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you being here with us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is the Black Excellence in Sports podcast where we highlight those who we believe have demonstrated Black excellence. We want to highlight their story, their voice, and their testimony to inspire others to unlock their greatness. Coach, when you hear Black excellence, what comes to mind? First of all, I want to say congratulations to you guys for starting this podcast. I think it's a phenomenal idea, uh, but it's not just an idea. You guys are bringing it to life. So keep doing what you're doing and and really appreciate you having me on. Uh, To me, you know, we emphasize to our players all the time, never let anyone else define success for you. You create your own definition of success and that can change from one time in your life to another time in your life. So To me, black excellence is, you know, first of all, creating a definition for success for yourself and for the people around you, your family, your team, uh, those you care about, and then going after it and going after it at a high level. uh, That doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to have your setbacks. You're going to have your times where things don't don't go your way, but you have a willingness to, to, to go after being your best and, you know, striving to reach that definition that you've set for success. And obviously the black part of it, let's be honest, you know, this is a time in our country uh, where there's so many things going on. There's so many things that have been brought to the surface, but at the same time, none of this stuff is new. And as black folks, we've been dealing with these things for a long, long time. We're going to continue to deal with a lot of these challenges. So I think, again, if, if you can create and accomplish the level of success that you set out for, as a black person, that's even more impressive. Uh, and I think that needs to be celebrated. And that's why it's so great that you guys are doing what you're doing with the podcast. Coach, is there anyone in your life that you can pinpoint demonstrates black excellence? Absolutely. Uh, how much time you got, man? I can pinpoint a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really, really lucky that I've had some mentors over the years uh, who are strong, black male figures in my life uh, you know unfortunately i didn't i didn't have a great father i didn't have um you know who, who some of my friends had a dad that was coaching them in sports and teaching them you know the do's and don'ts of growing up as a man 
So really for me, a lot of coaches filled that void. And I was really, really lucky. My first two jobs in college coaching, my bosses were black. And that absolutely shaped my career because both of those guys treated me like a son. They still treat me like a son to this day, even though I'm 43 years old. Uh, they took me under their wing. Uh, they had me into their homes. They let me spend time with their families. And they really kind of taught me the ropes in terms of what coaching is all about because I had no idea. I thought when I first started in coaching that it was just practice and games and, and that was about it. Uh, but obviously, as you guys know, there's so much more to it. Coach, I've heard that um, as a young assistant, you were very focused. You had a vision. You kind of had a plan about kind of your career and kind of, you know, a little bit about what you wanted to do. But the main thing is that you were focused at the task at hand. Um, what do you attribute that to? Or how did you develop that focus as a young um, coach? Well, I think just having a drive and a passion for whatever it is that you set out to do. Uh, I, again, I've been lucky to be around some people that taught me that if you want to do something special, then you got to be uncommon. And that's a word that I've used a lot with, with players over the years, uh, uncommon. It's amazing how often in life sometimes we expect to achieve uncommon results without necessarily following an uncommon process. So for me, when I was a young guy, I had no idea really what goes into the coaching profession. Um, I just knew I loved basketball, I loved competing. And again, I knew that for me, coaches had taken me under their wing, coaches had treated me, treated me like their son, and I looked up to those guys, so I wanted to maybe be that presence someday uh, for, for some other young brothers. And um, that's really why I got into this business and what I enjoy most about it. Coach, I like how you use the word uncommon, but can you take our listeners or take them back to how Shaka Smart created his identity? Because you talk about, you say the words uncommon. And so you go back to your playing days in college, division three basketball player, right? You know, wasn't this big pedigree of a player that people would know of, didn't come from this huge coaching family that people would know of. So no. you turned your uncommon story into a special story that so many people love and admire and respect. So can you walk our listeners through how you created your identity? Well, I don't really talk about this a lot, but uh, since you asked, I, 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 I'll address it a little bit. Um, so... When I played basketball in high school and in college, I was as identified with that role of being a player as anyone I've ever met. I used to carry a basketball around with me everywhere I went. And like you said, I played division three. So it's not like it was this big time basketball or there was, you know, all these pros or anything like that. It, it, people used to look at me like I was crazy. But again, that was my identity. And I wanted to be the best I could be. I loved the game. I was like you guys. I mean, even when I wasn't playing the game, I was watching the game or researching the game or reading about the game. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And so, you know, probably like, like you both, um, 
the end of my career was very, very challenging because I could feel an identity coming to an end. And it almost felt, I know this is going to sound over dramatic, overly dramatic, but it almost felt like death almost, you know what I mean? Like, man, like what am I, this is who I am, you know? And so my first college coach, I played for two college coaches. My first college coach had, had left and that was one of the worst days of my life. Um, but when he did, he kind of planted a seed in my mind and he said, when you get done playing, you can come work for me and you can start your coaching career. And I had never thought about that. And so I was able to kind of take that challenging time of not really knowing what I was going to do with playing basketball coming to an end. I was able to, to turn that into the passion for coaching and really taking on that identity. Uh, and I always felt like it had to start with enthusiasm. And that's not something that necessarily requires any special type of talent or intelligence or, like you said, pedigree. Man, I, I didn't come from anything as it relates to basketball. Nobody in my family even played basketball. Uh, my family was, was big on other sports, baseball, soccer. I just started playing outside with my friends, and I just loved it. So I kind of like that, though, that nobody really put a ball in my hands or anything like that. It just kind of happened organically. Uh, but the enthusiasm piece is something that really from the very beginning of my time as a coach, I just wanted to make it clear when I stepped on the floor, and I'm 22 years old, I'm a graduate assistant, I'm more excited to be here than anybody else. And I'll be honest with you guys, you know, there's been, there's been times in my career, I'm, certainly, I'm, I'm sure there's been days where I've fallen short of that. But for the most part, like that's who I've tried to be, is just the most enthusiastic guy, not just about basketball, but about the guys that I get to coach. Coach, you mentioned that um, one of your former coaches had planted a seed in your mind. Um, I've heard you speak about, you know, mentoring, being a part of planting seeds in, in the minds of your players. How do you intentionally plant seeds in, in your players' minds or how do you try and make an impact on them, um, you know, when it comes to things outside of basketball or, you know, just things that will lead to, to success at the end of their career? Well, I, I firmly believe that one of our most important roles as coaches is to see in players certain things that they cannot at the time see in themselves. And that's something that is, is important on the court and it's something that's important off the court. And that's not unique to me in any way. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of coaches that do a terrific job of that, but that's something that I try to keep at the front of my mind I think sometimes as coaches, we forget what it's like to be 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, we get a little bit older and we lose sight that that is such a formative age and also such an age where, man, you don't got any, it's not even close to all figured out. I'm 43. I don't got it all figured out, but man, I look back to when I was 18, 19. Um, I think a lot of times we lose sight of this. So, 
you know, for me, what I try to do is take each player because they're so unique. And I try to say, okay, where's the area where this guy can be, to use your guy's word, excellent. And it, it might be on the court. It might be off the court. And then there's a few areas that where I feel like we all kind of have in common where we can all grow. It's universal. And so I just try to work with guys both on a specific area, you know, really, really planting that seed in their mind. Uh, never forget, I coached a guy at VCU named Troy Daniels. And he's the best shooter I've ever seen. Now, I, I, you know, I've not been up close and personal with the Steph Curry or, you know, I'm not talking about guys like that. I'm just saying, guys, I've, I, I've been around and coached. This guy was an unbelievable shooter, but he, he, didn't, he didn't know how good he could be. So for two years at VCU, he didn't get many minutes. And a lot of the older guys on the team would just bully him and dominate him physically and mentally. And so I told the guy, listen, you're going to play in the NBA someday. You just got to follow the plan. You got to follow the plan. And he just, he just kept working, kept getting better. Um, when, he, when he finished his college career, he had made so much incredible progress, but he still wasn't really at a point where he was going to be a first-round draft pick or anything like that. Went and played in the G League. Continued to progress, progress, progress. And at the end of his first season in the G League, he got called up to the NBA. And he was unbelievable. And he's never not been in the NBA since. So that's just one example. I don't think it's just about the NBA or about basketball. You know, I hate to go off on this tangent, but since y'all have me, I'm going to tell you this. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we teach young kids in this game that the only way you can be successful is to make the NBA. And if you look at it from the standpoint of numbers, that means we're setting up the vast majority of kids to be failures. And that's just not right. Now, when you coach at this level, I'm at the University of Texas, every guy comes in here with that goal. And we're going to do everything we can to cultivate that goal and help them accomplish it. But I'm just saying, if a guy comes up short of that, that does not mean he has to be a failure. And that's why I told you guys at the beginning, to me, excellence, success is something that each person has to define for themselves. And they have to retain the power to change that definition if they so choose. Coach, one thing that I think all of our listeners can attest to is that you are a tremendous relationship builder. And so... I think everyone knows that you probably you do a phenomenal job when it comes to planting seeds in your players. But another thing that I'm fascinated by is I think you do a tremendous job of planting seeds in your coaching staff, as well as those that you mentor. What did that innate quality of just being a transformational leader come from? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is just something that over the years, as I've gotten a little bit older, uh, I've just been more and more passionate about. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that I really even have any particular type of talent in it, but it is something that I, I do spend time on. 
and I do really care about. And the reason for that, again, is because of the mentors that I have and not just guys that I played for or worked for, but people like George Raveling. George Raveling is probably, I think a lot of guys would argue, would, would argue um, and agree with me on this. Um, he's probably the best mentor of coaches, black or white, in all of college basketball in the last 20 years. He has taken so many coaches under his wing for no reason other than he just wants to help them. There's no financial benefit in it for him. Um, there's no real credit that he gets. Uh, and, and so that has been incredibly impactful on me. Um, and, and I've been lucky to be one of those coaches that he's taken an interest in. So I'm just trying to pay it forward, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I think I told you, Nick, we, we started a, a group here uh, a little under a year ago called BCU, uh, Black Coach University. And the point of it was, you know, I was spending some time trying to help some, some young brothers at other places and people would call me and just have a conversation. And it's like, man, we got these, these young guys on our own staff. I need to be working with them more. So we would just meet periodically. There was me and three guys on our staff and we would talk about their own professional development. We would talk about some X and O stuff uh, that they were working on. We would talk about some networking uh, components uh, of being a coach. Uh, and it was, I really enjoyed it. And so we started, you know, as the season wore on last season, started thinking, you know, we need to expand this a little bit. So there were some guys that had worked with us before, started getting them involved. But then, you know, when all the stuff happened in the aftermath of George Floyd, I'm thinking, man, we need to open this up to anyone and everyone that's interested. You know, from someone that's just getting started as a GA at 22 years old to, you know, whoever. And it's not like we got all the answers, but hopefully we can add value for these guys. And so that's something that, uh, you know, we, we, we enjoy doing. Uh, it, it, I, I love helping young guys. Uh, my wife gets mad at me because I give my number out to a lot of people. And, you know, <laughs> she don't like me being on the phone that much. But, again, Coach Rav does it for me. Uh, a lot of other guys have done it for me over the years. So, I enjoy helping guys and, you know, we've been lucky. We, we had a lot of assistant coaches um, that have gone on to become head coaches. And I'll be honest, like I, nothing brings a smile to my face more than turn on the TV and watching these guys coach. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to, you know, just help cultivate guys that, that uh, have a passion because that's what it's all about. Coach, you talk about cultivating and empowering and helping young guys. What's some stumbling blocks that you've noticed that young black coaches struggle with um, when they enter the profession at an early age? And what advice could you possibly give them? Well, first of all, it's more challenging to enter the profession now than it was in 1999 when I got into coaching. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Uh, we're hopeful that there are some changes that 
many, many people are encouraging the NCAA to make that will make it less challenging for young coaches, particularly young black coaches, to get into the college level. Because once you get your foot in the door, now it's about proving yourself and about doing the most with the opportunity you have. But if you don't get your foot in the door, then it's really, really hard to do that. So I'll give you an example. When I was in my first couple years in coaching, I was a graduate assistant. I made $90 every two weeks. So obviously wasn't doing it uh, for the money, but I loved what I was doing. And I was at the division two level. So there was only one full-time assistant. And that meant, you know, I got to participate quite a bit in recruiting and scouting and individual development and practice. Uh, one of the things you, you did at that time, and I know Scott, some guys still do, uh, is in the summer you worked camps. And so, you know, I worked camps at different places, different schools, different areas. Uh, and it just so happens two of the camps that I worked at were at schools that I ended up getting hired at. Now, maybe it's a coincidence. I'm not saying that got me the job, you know, working the camp, but it is about building relationships and contacts. Uh, it's more challenging to do that now because there's so many like twists and turns you got to go through even to, to get into a camp. Uh, but that's doesn't mean it's not possible. Uh, I think another stumbling block is just, as you mentioned, if a guy didn't play division one or doesn't really know anyone at the college level, it can be really, really tough to, to get started. Um, it can be tough to get your foot in the door. And I also think just by sheer numbers, there's probably more people interested in coaching now than there was 20 years ago. So there's more competition. And as you mentioned, if somebody doesn't have a pedigree, uh, a family that they come from that has connections or a basketball program that they come from that has connections, that can be really, really tough to get started. How does the young Shaka Smart navigate the profession today if you were to start in 2020? That's a good question. Uh, you know, Coach Raveling always tells me, you got to know what you don't know. And what he means by that is, have the humility to understand that you don't have all the answers, um, that there's a variety of areas where you need to learn, and that you do have blind spots. And so, I think for young guys just getting started, you need to have a combination of drive and passion and confidence. But at the same time, you got to have what Coach Rav is talking about. And that's a, that, 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 that's a kind of a double-edged sword for sure. Uh, but for me, like if I was getting started, let's say I just got done playing – and I was getting started. Obviously, COVID complicates things for everybody. Um, but I would do everything I can to be around 
and learn from guys that are a little bit further along than me. Somebody gave me that advice uh, when I was really, really young and coaching. He said, I think I was like 24 at the time. And I had told him, like, I wrote a letter to Dean Smith and John Thompson and, uh, you know, John Chaney and all these coaches. And he said to me, why are you messing with those head coaches? Those, those guys don't got time to deal with you. He said, he, and this was really good advice. He said, you've got to cultivate relationships, build relationships with the guys that are a little bit further ahead than you. So if you're an ops guy or if you're a video guy, meet the young assistants and cultivate relationships with them. If you're a young assistant, meet the more experienced assistants, cultivate relationships with them. And I, that was really, really good advice uh, because a lot of times it is, you know, those folks that maybe are a little bit further along that have the ear of the head coach and they can put you in a position to maybe have an opportunity. And that happened to me multiple times. Coach, you talk about um, getting your foot in the door. And we just had Rob Lanier on the show. And I've heard him say just getting your foot in the door is a tremendous task. Um, and I know you guys are really close. So could you could you talk about your relationship in the beginning, kind of to tie into uh, what you said about building relationships with, you know, young people like you on the staff and not necessarily trying to go after that, after the head coach? I know you and Rob kind of um, helped each other a lot in your career. Can you talk about your relationship? Rob's one of the best coaches that I've ever been around, and I think he's one of the best head coaches in the country, black or white. And the thing about Rob, I mean, you guys just interviewed him, so you got a sense for this real quick. You only need to talk to him for about 30 seconds to realize three things. This brother is incredibly intelligent. This brother is incredibly caring as it relates to his family and his players and his staff. And thirdly, he is a visionary. He's very good at looking into the future and seeing things. Uh, I first met Rob when he was the head coach at Siena. And see, what people don't know is that Rob went to the NCAA tournament, and then his best team went to the NIT. I believe they won maybe 24, 25, 26 games. Uh, then he had some injuries after that, that as we all know as coaches, uh, completely changed the dynamics of our team. But I met him when he was just kind of getting started there. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the time that you get to be around guys for the most part from other staffs is the recruiting trail. And so I got a chance to be around him. And, you know, when I was a young and I still do this but especially when I was young I would really watch other coaches and I would just kind of sit back and I'm watching the game but I'm also watching the other coaches and, I, and I'm watching Rob and he just moved different you know he just had a different way about him than than some of these other guys 
And then I was able to just be a part of some conversations with him where I got to know, uh, you know, the way he looked at things, the way that he uh, ran his program. And then, you know, just kind of was able to develop a relationship with him and we were able to develop a relationship with each other. Um, but Rob's an example of what, what I was just talking about earlier, which is he basically, not basically, he did get me an assistant coaching job at the University of Florida with Billy Donovan. And here's what happened. I'm coaching at Clemson and I'm there with Oliver Purnell, who's one of my mentors, uh, an unbelievable coach, an unbelievable person. Rob calls me and he said, hey, we're going to have an opening here and I'm going to recommend you to Billy. Um, but you need to understand it's probably going to take some time and he has a, uh, a process that he wants to follow. Um, so you're just going to have to be patient. And Rob kind of just held my hand and kind of walked me through that process. Uh, but it's a great example of how in order to get a job, you either got to know the person that's making the decision or you got to know the person that's influencing the person making the decision. And that was Rob in that case. Uh, and, and that was an unbelievable opportunity for me. Then I got to work with him uh, and Coach Donovan and Larry Shiat on the best staff I've ever been a part of. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun. But he, he, he's been a great friend over the years. Coach, I love how you spoke about it only takes 30 seconds to probably really get to know Rob Lanier, and I really agree. But I'm very interested to hear that same thing about you. So for someone that doesn't know Shaka Smart, if they had a chance to be around you for 30 seconds, to have a 30-second conversation with you, what would you want them to say about you when they leave that conversation? That's a good question. I, I I want people to say whatever they take from it. You know, to be honest with you, um, it probably depends on on where we are. You know, if if we're on the basketball court and um, you know we're working with our guys, then I want them again to to see a level of enthusiasm and passion. That 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 would be the biggest thing there. Um, you know, if they see me with my family. I would just want them to see and know how much I love my daughter. Um, if it's just a, you know, a mentoring conversation, you know, hopefully they feel like um, I'm someone that wants to help other people. Uh, if it's a, if it's a mentoring conversation where I, I'm, I'm the one being mentored, hopefully they feel like I listen, you know, and that, 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 that I have uh, big eyes and big ears you know, just to take in everything that they're saying. Coach, um, like I told you earlier, I'm from Virginia. And, you know, when I think of Shaka Smart, I think of VCU. I think of VCU getting to that Final Four because when I was when I was young, that kind of you, – you had the city rocking with Havoc. Um, can you talk about how you built that culture? And I'm going to elaborate a little bit. Um, I remember, you know, when I would drive through Richmond, I would see billboards of Havoc. Everybody was talking about Havoc. Um, I, I know 
Briante Weber pretty well. He was just so excited to get to VCU and play for you. Um, can you talk about how you built that that culture um, and how you use enthusiasm to kind of you know spark spark that program? Well, you mentioned Briante. The number one element of any culture is the players. That's the bottom line. So it doesn't matter what you do as a coach. If you don't have guys with the right makeup, and I'm not even talking about talent. Obviously, you need talent to be successful. But I'm talking about the internal makeup of who someone is. If you cut them open and you looked on the inside, uh, you know, what, 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 what's really in there? We used to say, get to their guts. And like, what's really in their guts? Like, what's really deep in there? Uh, so passion, enthusiasm, um, just having a level of energy, that was a big part of the way we tried to play there. Um, you know, it's interesting. People ask me about Havoc. It really is more a mindset than anything else. Um, you know, it, it, certainly on defense, we pressed all the time and we played really, really aggressively. But it, it wasn't – that was more secondary to just having a mindset of we're coming at you. Um, and, and now we had a lot of guys like Briante that didn't come from much. <laughs> you know, here's a guy that had very few scholarship offers, had to go to prep school at Fork Union because nobody really wanted them out of high school. And he comes up to our team camp and our league camp and he was like, who is this guy? And so that was kind of like I'm saying about Rob. It took me about 30 seconds with Beyonce. And he had this unbelievable quality where you guys will appreciate this. It didn't matter who he was playing against. The first time he played against them, he took the ball from them. It didn't matter. And... It's crazy. Years and years later, we were in a sports bar watching a game, and he's playing in the NBA against Kyrie Irving, who I would consider probably the best ball handler in the NBA, one of the best for sure. And we're sitting there, and I said, watch, Bree's going to take it from him. I think he had either just gotten called up or, you know, he was relatively recent to the team he was on. Stole the ball from him, went and laid it up. Now, he didn't do it again. <laughs> he didn't do it again. But it's a, it's a unique quality he had. Like, for a lot of guys that weren't quite that good a ball handler, he did it again and again and again. But for everybody, his hands were so fast that the first time they saw him, they had to kind of adjust after he plucked them once. So – that was a big part of what we did, just having some guys like that that just had a hunger and a passion. Uh, I'll never forget, we were playing a game and we were winning by like 12, 13 points. And there was about a minute left in the game. So it wasn't like completely over, but it was, you know, it was about, it was about over. And it was a home game. 
And so the clock went, um, I think it was above a minute, so like a minute, five, whatever. Uh, and the clock was stopped. Uh, and so, no, it was under a minute because the clock stops when the ball goes in. So they rolled the ball up the court to try to save some time. And I'm telling guys, get back. You know, we don't need to press. You know, let's just, let's just finish this thing out. No fouls. So Briante, he sees that they rolled it. And, you know, the guy, the point guard for the other team is just kind of watching the ball, letting it roll, letting it roll. He takes off full speed, and he dives head first. I mean, he looked like a baseball player with a head first slide, like, and he steals the ball, and he's on the ground, so he calls timeout, which is kind of like you don't really do that at the end of the game when you're up. But the crowd, I never – have heard a crowd respond to a player the way that they did to him on occasions like that. But that's really what makes havoc. I mean, it, it's nothing other than, you know, having guys that believe in something and have a chip on their shoulder to show the opponent what they're all about. One thing I'll say about that, Coach, is, and, I, and I'm going to take this back, and kind of bring something personal up with it because you just never know who's watching because I had a chance to experience um, your program play one time uh, when I graduated college. I moved to Ohio and I took a high school job and you guys were playing Akron. It was like December 29th, like 2011. And you guys won in overtime. Um, and this was, I think, the year after the Final Four. So, of course, you guys had a uh, or around you, you know, you brought everybody's best. And obviously, you know, your your brand of basketball, the mindset that you're talking about with Havoc was exciting. But for somebody like myself, who was kind of just now trying to figure out, just finished playing college basketball myself and just trying to figure out his way, um, watching that game solidified to me that I knew that I was going to be on that court as a coach one day. So I, I know you say – it was more so a mindset, but but it was also your vision that, that brought that to fruition that also ignited another passion inside an individual like myself. So I just wanted to say thank you for that because, again, that was, uh, that was something that, that helped me uh, continue to try to propel in my career. And without that moment, obviously I had many moments prior to that, but without that moment, um, that day, uh, I don't know if I'll be where I'm at right now. So uh, appreciate you for that, and, and thank you for sharing your, your message right there. Well, I remember that game. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing as coaches what we remember and what we forget. But um, in that game, we really shouldn't have won. Uh, it, it was really an example of, in every game, there's like a one-minute or 90-second stretch that turns the game one way or the other. And I believe we were down like 10 or 12 points six minutes ago, something like that. And we were just able to hit a couple threes and get a couple stops, and it changed that, that game. But, you know, the exciting thing is – 
when you look at teams from the past, now looking and seeing where are those guys now? And not just physically, but like what, like who have they become as people and their mindset. And so I can still picture all the guys that played in that game. And now I'm thinking about a guy like Rob Brandenburg, who's our starting two man in that game. He's actually from Ohio. So he came to VCU after being recruited by schools like Akron. And one of the things that I really enjoy is hearing now how much of a grown man this guy has become and how he's mentoring and impacting a bunch of young people in his community. That's really what it's all about. Coach, we talk about it being a mindset. Um, I'm going to go back to Nick's question for a bit. We talked about the first 30 seconds. First 30 seconds, when I think about you, I think about um, being mindful. Um, and I heard you interview with um, Michael Gervais in the Finding Mastery podcast, and you talked a lot about, you know, being mindful and kind of what you do to make sure you do that. And I also heard you say, um, you know, when you was young with your mom, you always paid attention. Um, what about being mindful and what about paying attention do you think has um, helped your career today and kind of helped you stay focused with where you're going at in your career? Well, Aisha, that's really been a, a huge emphasis of mine of late. Uh, it, it's, it's been something that I've been very, very interested in for many years, many, many years. But I would say in the last two and a half years or so, it's gone beyond interest to really, as I tell our guys, um, raising your consciousness, raising your awareness, and then your ability to drop all resistance mentally um, and, and internally to what's going on so that then you can act and, and just be the best version of you or do whatever you need to do next. I think that's everything. Uh, and that's in life and basketball, family, relationships. Uh, so I spend a lot of time on that, actually. And it, it's something that is, uh, is exciting to me because if you look at some of the people that are like really, really, really developed and advanced, I mean, they, they're able to impact others on such a higher level uh, just because they, they've just gotten into a different place of consciousness. So it's actually something, Aisha, that, uh, and this is relatively new during this, you know, the, the, the period since the, the COVID has become a, a, a pandemic, is I send our guys an excerpt every day uh, from different, different reading I do or different, different things we're looking at. Uh, that deals with this very, very same topic. And then I got a bunch of other folks that I send it to as well, just to kind of create conversation and, you know, hopefully to add some value uh, for those guys as well, or, or, or those ladies, because there's, there's quite a few females that are interested in this stuff as well. And I tell them all the time, I joke with them, I say, hey, you can hit unsubscribe at any moment, <laughs> and I won't send it to you anymore. But haven't really had anyone do that yet because I'll tell you what, I think inside of all of us, 
there is a very, very common core that yearns to, you know, expand and learn and become more conscious and aware of itself and aware of the same thing in others around us. That's really the epitome of relationships. So I know this is a coaching podcast, so I'm probably getting off on a tangent, but you asked me, it's definitely something I'm really interested in. Coach, I've heard you speak about meditating. And obviously, I think you started touching on it just a second ago. But can you elaborate on how that has helped you, um, not just within the, the profession, but within your life? It's helped me a lot. Um, I'll be honest with you, Nick. It's, it's a frustration of mine that none of us were taught this stuff in school. And I think there's certain areas, certain school districts, uh, certain programs that have made some major progress. You hear, you hear of, you know, what's called social emotional learning that, that, that a lot of folks are doing now. But to me, there's not a more important thing I can teach my daughter than being more aware of what's happening, first of all, inside in her mind, in her heart, in her body, and then secondly, in the world around her. Uh, and I, I, I think not only is there not a more important thing, but there's never been a more important time for young people and, and us that are a little bit older too, because there are so many forces around us that push us to be ADD. <laughs> and that's all of us. You know, a lot of times people talk about ADD or ADHD as things that afflict, you know, younger people. But the reality is, I mean, I don't know how about how you two feel, but cell phones have made all of us more ADD. And it's something that we really have to be intentional about fighting. So you mentioned uh, meditation. Um, some people are really, really against it. So I'm not promoting it, Nick, like, hey, everybody's got to do this. I mean, everyone's got to find their own practice and what makes sense. And, and I really do firmly believe that it's much less about, you know, going off in a corner and meditating or sitting on top of a mountain than it is about in your daily life being able to be more aware and being able to accept what's going on because it is what it is right now. I'm not saying except like, okay, this is something that, that that's happening and no problem. Uh, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm saying acceptance from a standpoint of this is where we are right now. We're doing this podcast right now. And if I had a level of mental resistance inside of me, then I wouldn't feel very good because there's going to be, a difference between what I'm doing and what I want to be doing. And so that, again, I think there's nothing more important to teach young people. Um, for me, the morning is the hardest time of the day for me, the very, very early morning. And so my mind will wake me up sometimes four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. And my mind will say a bunch of crazy stuff. I mean, crazy. And so one of the things that one of the guys that, that's been a mentor for me taught me is 
I told him, I said, I can't meditate in the morning because I'm, I got all this anxiety at that time. And I got all these thoughts. He said to me, that's exactly why you need to meditate in the morning. You need to sit and you need to notice that stuff and you need to learn to accept it. And you need to learn to find the gap in between the essence of who you are and the thoughts that your mind's cre- that your mind creates. And so that's why I do mine in the morning. Um, but you know, one thing that's been pretty cool, we, we got about four or five players that, uh, have begun a, a practice of their own and everybody's a little bit different. Um, those guys are way ahead of me. You know, I wasn't doing that stuff when I was in college. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool to see them making progress. You started off by saying that, first of all, thank you for sharing that, but you started off by saying it frustrates you that they don't teach us these things in school. And one thing that Isha and I have in common is that we both love reading. Um, we both love reading books and we know that that's something that is, is huge when it comes to you. Why is one reading very important to you? And then the second part to that question is, can you pinpoint a book, a specific book that possibly has changed your mindset um, or your perspective on life when you, once you read it? Lots of books. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's been a ton of books that have changed things for me. Uh, why reading is important to me? Man, that's a that that's a, a really really important question. Um, you know, I, we're in this time where we're really trying to attack uh, all the injustices in our country. One of the injustices in our country, one of the things we absolutely have to change, is that in many of the homes in which our African-American youth grow up, there's next to no books in many of those homes. And that's not something that's intentional by those families, uh, but it is something that has to change because the reality is if you grow up in a home where there's a bunch of books around you, there's a lot more chance that you're going to read. and so one of the things my wife is really, really passionate about is early childhood literacy and getting more and more access to books for young people and particularly young people in the black community. Um, in terms of a book that's changed my life, wow, I mean, there's been, there's been a lot. Um, I think, you know, when I was, I don't know if I had even started coaching yet, uh, but when I was young, I think somewhere either in high school or college, I I read uh, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, uh, and that still remains uh, today my favorite coaching book. So that one, I've always looked at him as a little bit different than, than almost every other coach because... Uh, of the way that he has utilized um, mindfulness and other spiritual practices in in his coaching 
But at the same time, he's coached such high-level guys and he hasn't, like, freaked them out with it. You know, he's, he's made it digestible for them. Did you enjoy watching, watching that uh, in the Jordan documentary? I did, yeah. You know what? I was just re-watching a couple episodes over the weekend. And, man, I mean, I, I, I think that those episodes are so rich with content for us as coaches, as athletes uh, to learn from. And it's, it's kind of like reading a good book. I mean, you, you can watch one of those episodes a second time, a third time, a fourth time, and continue to get new things out of them. I, the biggest thing that I take overall from the last dance, and I use this with our guys all the time, is that if the best player ever and the best coach ever and one of the best teams ever were not above having to deal with adversity and hating and people picking against them and all these different challenges and ups and downs, if they weren't above that, then why would we think that we don't have to deal with those things or shouldn't have to deal with those things? Why would we ever feel sorry for ourselves when we find ourselves in those situations? That was really just meaningful to me seeing, and that was just one of their six championship seasons, but seeing all the twists and turns uh, that they dealt with. Coach, I love what you share about mindfulness and, and consciousness and awareness. Um, you know, our podcast is about black excellence and the people that we bring on, you know, you could tell they have a consciousness, awareness, um, intellectual, deep thinkers, um, very mindful people. So I want our audience, future coaches, future leaders to take notes about, you know, the self-awareness aspect to it. It's not about the X's and O's. And yes, you do have to have great strategies, but to become the best version of yourself, you have to have that that level of awareness and you know meditation is something you can accept or deny but if you look at the research with with people who meditate you know you take the spiritual aspect out of it just being mindful the research is is out of out of this world um it's, it's definitely something that you want to try and consider um but i'm gonna I'm shift gears here coach um i've heard you speak about interviewing um, to a certain extent and how important it is and how, you know, as a young assistant, how you should take time to practice your interviewing skills. And I also heard you talk about an uh, interesting um, experience that you had with, with interviewing where uh, you were made fun of in an interview and you basically had to, you know, show how you could take it, um, you know, by the person that you would be working for. Could you, one, talk about that experience a little bit and kind of how you, you know, kind of kept going with it and two, kind of give a little bit of, you know, tips or advice of anybody who could be listening that, you know, might want to sharpen their interview skills. Yes. So uh, the example you're talking about was when I interviewed with Coach Donovan at the University of Florida. Uh, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I learned this later on. You know, he's a big uh, – guy who likes to give you a hard time, I should say. <laughs> There's another way we put it, but, you know, for the purpose of the podcast, I'll say it like that. So 
when I went on the interview, I'd never met him. Actually, I had met him when I worked at camp, but that was like for 10 seconds. Um, but this was, you know, for the most part, our first, you know, first time having any type of conversation or, or, or meeting. And first thing he did was he did was he made fun of my, my shirt. And <laughs> it probably was a jacked up shirt. I don't know. But, you know, I thought I was dressed pretty nice, but uh, it was immediately, you know, he was kind of coming at me. And it was, fr- it was in front of some other people, too. So, uh, you know, one thing you guys mentioned, like when I was a young guy as, a, as an assistant, I'm very driven, very serious. Um, and so immediately I had to kind of like, what do I do? How do I react to this guy? Um, and I learned, you know, I learned with him later on that the best way is you got to go right back at him. Uh, but you mentioned interviewing. It is definitely a something I feel really strongly about. And I was lucky that someone taught me this when I was 29 years old as an assistant coach at Clemson. Um, and that was just because someone has good people skills, just because someone's a good communicator, just because someone is personable, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do great in an interview. And in fact, we as coaches, and particularly black coaches, if the person that's interviewing us is not black, we got to practice. And we have to hone our interviewing skills. And we have to prepare for the specific questions that we might be asked. You know how, like, when you play zone defense, there's only a certain amount of things people are going to be able to do against the zone defense, right? And that's probably why teams like Syracuse say, hey, we're going to play the zone, man, because we've seen it all. We've seen anything that anyone can do, and they're very good at it. It's the same thing with the job interview. There's only a certain number of questions that you can really be asked. I could rattle off 10 for you right now. You gotta be ready to address what are your strengths and weaknesses. You gotta be ready to address why you for the job. You gotta be ready to address why you're interested in that specific job as opposed to just getting a job because they wanna know that their place is special to you. You've gotta be able to address what your plan is moving forward. You've got to be able to address, if you've never been a head coach, why you're ready to be a head coach. And so these are all things that a lot of us might have in our minds and might have thought through or even written down. But if you haven't verbally answered the question in front of another person, then you're doing yourself a disservice because the first time you do it is going to be in the interview and you're not going to be as good as you would be if you had practiced. And so, like I said, I was taught that uh, by someone when I was an assistant at Clemson. My wife uh, was trained as a journalist. So this is before cell phones had had recorders. She used to record me on, on her little, you know, interview recorder. And she would just ask me those questions. And I would answer. And then I'm telling you, and, and people should try this. When you listen back to yourself answering the questions, you'll kind of cringe a little bit like, ooh, I didn't mean it to come out exactly like that. But it's good because then you can correct it. Then you can be better the next time. 
And since you brought it up, I'll just give you, okay, these are the four, we talk about this on BCU, but these are the four components. Like if you are an assistant coach or a member of any staff and your goal is to be a head coach, immediately change that goal to becoming a successful head coach. So just add that one word. Not anymore do you want to just be a head coach. You want to be a successful head coach, okay? So these are the four tenets of your approach, the same four things I did when I was 29 years old, okay, that I kind of put in place. Number one, most important, put 95% of your energy, maybe 98% of your energy into this. Do an excellent job in your current position. Make your team win. Make your head coach successful. Make your players feel like you always have their back, you always have their best interests in mind, and you are there to help them accomplish their goals. That is number one. If you don't do that, the rest doesn't matter. Number two, this is maybe an hour a week you should spend on this. Maybe two at the most. But if you go a month, two months, three months, and you haven't spent any time on this, then you're only hurting yourself. And that is develop and document your own head coaching philosophy. And I was lucky when I was 23 years old as a graduate assistant, someone told me that. What's your head coaching philosophy? I was like, I don't know. What are you talking about? I'm a GA. He said, well, at some point you want to be a head coach, right? What's your philosophy? How are you going to go about recruiting? How are you going to go about staff? What's your stationery going to look like? At that time, there wasn't cell phones, so we had to mail people letters. He said, what's your stationery going to look like? And the point he was making was, Think through how you want your program to be down to the smallest details. Offense, defense, individual workouts, scouting. Develop and document your head coaching philosophy. And the reason I say document is that unless you have a photographic memory, you're going to have some good ideas that if you don't write them down, you're going to forget them or you're not going to be as organized. Plus, you may need that organization for when you're interviewing for the job or when you actually get the job. You will need it. Third thing, aggressively build your network. Aggressively build your network. Like I told you, there's two ways you get a job. You know the guy who's hiring or you know someone that's influencing the man or woman who's hiring. Fourth thing, hone your interviewing skills which we just talked about. And that's, that's fourth. It's the least important, but it's the one that when you get to the doorstep, if you haven't done that, you can have that door slammed in your face. So that was kind of my approach, those four things. Um, when I went down to Florida, my plan was to be there for six, eight years as an assistant coach. But sometimes things don't always happen when you when you think they might happen. So after my first season, I got a call from the athletic director at VCU and he asked me if I was interested in a job and I was scared to death. I'll be honest with you. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I'm 31 years old. I'm working for a guy that I idolized. Love being where I was. Hate change, hate change getting better with that now that with the meditation work and the mindfulness but I think some of that work in advance of preparing in those areas 
hopefully can give people, you know, a little bit more of a readiness when they do get a chance to interview and then when they do get the job. Coach, real quick, and just touch on this real quick, because obviously you're a mentor to my boss, and he speaks about this to me all the time when he says you want to be a successful head coach. And he obviously always rephrased that I got that from Shaka. Why did you add that word successful to it? What, what, what made you think, you know what, I don't just want to be a coach or a head coach. I want to be a successful head coach. Well, because obviously we live and work in a very volatile profession. And the reality is, I'll never forget, I heard this at a clinic many, many years ago when I was a young assistant, Matt Painter, the coach at Purdue. He said, we're all replacements. We replace someone else, and then someday someone replaces us. And that was something that, that, that really, really struck me. Uh, so, I mean, the reason you want to change your goal from becoming a head coach to becoming a successful head coach is that if it's all about just getting the job, then you're not going to have much of an experience, a, a fun experience or a successful experience when you get the job. But if you want to turn it into a sustainable career, uh, then you're going to have to have, you know, some level of success because the reality is, you know, we live in a, just a very competitive world and, uh, you know, coaches are evaluated and, and, and scrutinized very closely. Coach, um, I, want, I want to ask you about when you talked about documenting your coaching philosophy as a head coach um, and, and what, what to do, you know, when you're, when you're planning on being a head coach, right? So my question is, when you did that when you was a young assistant or a seasoned assistant, how much have you used of that philosophy now and how much do you still use or has it changed with with growth i'll tell you what one of the things that obviously we've all had more of over the past few months is time for reflection and time to look back at old notes uh, i've got all my binders with practice plans going back to when i first got started um, and I, I've looked back at a lot of that stuff. I've looked back at some of my early notes uh, on head coaching philosophy, and really not a lot has changed in terms of the, the core principles or core beliefs. And actually, in some ways, I could really benefit now from looking back and learning from the 28 year old version of me. Um, there's a real power in simplicity. And I never forget, uh, I was an assistant coach. I won't say what school, but at the time, just I was kind of frustrated with, I felt like there was a level of entitlement a little bit from some of the guys in the team uh, that, that, they, that they weren't appreciative enough. So we, you know, uh, we work to, to uh, promote appreciation and combat entitlement and kind of came up with this, this, this ratio that we call appreciation to entitlement ratio. 
and is you want to be like assist to turnover. You want to be high in one and low in the other. And you know, those are just that's in my journal from 2006. Um, so I think some of the things like like that 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 you write down and that is important to you then you it's good to have reminders that it's it's important to you now too because uh, it's easy to kind of be pulled in different directions coach for someone that has achieved the things you've achieved in this profession it's, it's always really good to hear someone talk about simplicity because i think as young coaches we get lost in the shuffle of trying to think we got to be great at every single thing and we got to be able to have the answers to every single thing when it comes to running our own program possibly one day. So uh, I'm definitely glad you were able to touch on that. Um, so coach, as we wrap up, because obviously we know we need to get you out of here. Uh, again, we thank you for, for just, you know, gracing us with your, your appearance. Um, like we said, this is the black excellence podcast to where we want to, to highlight those that are continuing to pave the way for the next generation. And so for us, um, we do deem you guys to be in a royal seat um, and you're wearing the crown. And so one day, Coach, when you step down off that seat, and I hope that's going to be a long, long time from now, but when you do step down off that seat and you pass that crown to the next individual in the generation that's coming behind, what message do you want to engrave in that crown to leave for them? Well, I... I will answer your question, but I, I want to amend your, your analogy, and I, I'm really serious about this. We need more crowns and more black coaches and more successful black coaches and more opportunities for successful black coaches, and there's never been a more important time for that. So I don't think it's about one crown. Um, you know, obviously we're all shooting to cut down the nets at the end of the year. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the opportunity to make a difference, you know, in, in the lives of these guys that we coach and have a platform that impacts a lot of people, whether they're, they're in college sports or not. Um, so the legacy that I would want to leave, I mean, listen, I'm still relatively young, so don't try to, you know, move, move me on too soon. But um, I just, I love the opportunity to hear the basketball bouncing and uh, the, the sneakers uh, squeaking and guys woofing at each other and just go out there and, just try to win and compete. And then when, when we get done, then try to figure out how to move forward from there off the court to become better all around. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not unique in that way. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that look at it that same way, but hopefully that's the legacy that we leave for, um, you know, the, the next generation that comes up. Uh, and then hopefully over the coming years, and this is something that there's a lot of us that are, are trying to put some time and, and effort into now, hopefully we can all work hard to create more opportunities for the next generation uh, so that 
you guys can step into that into that seat and wear that crown and be a lot better than we were. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories real quick. Guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join or if you got any questions, hit me up.